Welcome to the First Baptist Church Podcast. We're excited to share this weekend's conversation with you from Pastor Jerry Hendricks. If you would like to subscribe, find us on iTunes or go to fbcsweetwater.org. In just about three months, we'll be gathering together around a table, probably with family and friends, and celebrating maybe the most consistent holiday that we celebrate in America, Thanksgiving. Now, there's a lot of things about the Thanksgiving meal that are highly traditional. I get that. But there's certain things that you expect, or at least certain things that come to mind when you think of a traditional Thanksgiving meal. And so when you, get, when you start to, to make your preparations or you start to get ready, some, you, through the years, you may have established other traditions. But when we say Thanksgiving dinner, there's certain things that we think of. Now, I don't know what you, well, I don't know if we're on the same page here, but probably the one thing that's going to be there is a turkey. Cranberry sauce. Then from there, it gets out onto the edges of tradition into green bean casserole, that jello salad that sometimes has cottage cheese in it, and other people just put whipped cream. I like it either way. Am I missing any? Oh, pumpkin pie. Sweet potatoes, thank you. Yes. How could I forget the sweet potatoes? Oh, the, I didn't, did I not say dressing? Yes. That's because we don't uh, celebrate a traditional Thanksgiving in our house. Uh, do not like the turkey. There you go. So we all are establishing our own traditions, right? So we think about this traditional meal that most Americans have. And I know uh, my, my wife teaches first grade. And so I know that her first graders for art project, uh, one of the things that they're going to do, there's going to be something that's related to a part of that traditional meal. And it's not going to be a pig. Now we have ham at our house at Thanksgiving meal. So I don't know why we're not doing art projects with pigs and turkeys at Thanksgiving time in our classrooms. But I'm just tossing that out there trying to be an influencer. I'll let y'all know later how that goes. The meal that we read about in Scripture this morning is a traditional meal. Now, we don't know exactly all of the elements that were provided uh, at that particular time but, uh, uh, but uh, that Jesus was meeting with his disciples. But here's one thing we do know, is that the parts of the meal, the elements of the meal, were symbolic. They meant something. And so this experience of a Passover meal was a way for the Jewish people to recall their history, primarily around the Exodus, and to recall how God had provided for them and brought them into a new land and how God continued uh, to, to watch over them, to protect them, and to lead them into the very places that they were sitting now around these tables. So as we think about that meal, one of the ways that it has come forward into our culture in present day is under the, uh, the heading of a Seder meal. 
And so the way that a Seder meal is practiced, and some of you may have had a Seder meal in your home or you may have attended uh, a Seder meal, it has these elements that uh, we've come to acknowledge as being parts of this story. So that the meal itself becomes a part of telling the story. So Jesus is in this room with his disciples. We know it's a dark time. It's a significant time in his life as we see the beginning of the, of the chips start to fall before the time of his trial and suffering and crucifixion. But for this one last moment, he's with these that he's called to be his disciples. And they share in this traditional meal together. They found this place, and it was custom at this time during Passover that uh, there was, wouldn't be charges for lodging, that people would open up their homes where people could gather. Those coming into the city could gather for these Passover meals. It was, how, it was that important to their culture and to the telling and remembering of the story. So when we think of our own experience of, of Lord's Supper or Communion, Sometimes we, got, we get kind of lost into, into just a certain part of the elements that tell that story. Unless we were to always go back and to remember the story that Jesus is telling to his disciples. And so the way that he's talking to his disciples even brings to light some of that symbolism that they would have been remembering at that particular time. In your program, on the sermon outline section, I've written some of the things that were a part of a, or are a part of a traditional Seder meal today. And I want to share with you kind of how those take place, or are the part of the story that they play. You see, the thing about the Lord's Supper is that there's not a lot of instruction for it. And in the church today, we have, even in here this morning, we have people that have come to become a part of a Baptist church that are a part of different traditions. And so their view and the way that they look at the Lord's Supper in and of itself is going to be different than what we may have practiced in our churches. And while my experience growing up into a Baptist life experience in a church even that may be different than what you've experienced. And we see people being more uh, creative and thoughtful into leading that experience for our churches now in all, in all denominations. So when you look at scripture, I wrote some of the scripture references there in your program. If you want to look some of those up, there, there's, there's not guidance. Or there's not a how-to form for how a church ought to do uh, or experience the Lord's Supper. There are some experiences in Scripture that refer to it. The first is, is Paul. Uh, he's having to bring correction to the Corinthians overall, not just in regard to the Lord's Supper, but in particular in these verses provided to the way that they were doing the Lord's Supper. They were basically, it was supposed to be a time where they would focus on feeding the poor, and rather some were taking and, and participating in their own suppers away from that ministry. And so he brought correction to them in those verses. He also refers back to the experience of Jesus, which is described in uh, really in, in some detail in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John makes a reference to it this, without quite so much detail. 
So from Scripture, we, we don't really have a, a way, and I, and I would say to you that as you look at Scripture, you're not going to find often or maybe anywhere where it gives you form, where it tells you how you're supposed to do something, but rather it would give you the function. The function would be these, this Lord's Supper, this how we, how we choose and our experience to remember Jesus. And so in this Jewish meal, this Seder meal that has some evidence of this Passover meal, maybe there were additional elements or maybe there are less, but they go through an experience of, of these different parts of, of the meal together. They they experience the, the unleavened bread. It's called matzah. And you uh, sometimes in our worship, when we've done uh, communion together, we've used matzah bread. It's a, it's a dry cracker. Uh, it, um, it's, flat, it's a flat bread. Uh, and I know in conducting communion, I prefer not to use it because literally it seems like when I put it in my mouth, it takes all the moisture in my mouth and it disappears. And I usually still have to do some talking. Uh, it's not real tasty. Some people like the taste of it. But the matzah was a reminder for them of that time, uh, or the bread at the table was a reminder for them of that time that they had to leave Egypt. And they left in a hurry. Uh, now, the process leading up to their, their exiting uh, went, was over some time period. But they, when they left, when they ultimately left, they left before... Pharaoh was going to change his mind. And so they didn't have time to make their bread. And so literally they put together uh, as best they could some, some bread. Uh, or the, or the, or, uh, they made the, the, the dough without yeast because they didn't have time for it to rise. And they put it in their backpacks or their, their bags. And the heat from the sun actually was the only cooking that that bread got. That's the theory. So this bread that's at the table, that's more than likely, or that's at the table that Jesus is at because he calls attention to it, it's that dry bread that reminds them of that part of that story. Now remember that when we experience communion, the way that we do it oftentimes is that there's only one person who has the opportunity to explain or tell the story, and that's the person with the microphone. But at a Passover meal, there would be children, children as a part of the meal and so they got to experience the story with them as they would go through these different parts of, of, the, of the meal together and the elements of the meal. So bread, the bread there, the unleavened bread was a reminder of that. Another part of the meal was an egg. Now, not all in, in contemporary uh, Seder meals, not everyone will use an egg. And an egg would normally be used at prior to the meal, which would be like an appetizer. Of some sort. And uh, I know when we've done the Seder meal, we would boil an egg uh, and then we would eat that before we started on the other parts of the meal. So there's different sort of stages to this meal as you progress through it and you begin to tell the story. One of the heavy emphasis for Passover and for the meal was the fact that it was springtime. It occurred sometime in March or April. And so uh, you have the beginning of, of new life all around you. And so these, a lot of the elements that you'll read that, that you see in here are elements that resemble new life. Green vegetables, green things, an egg represents new life. 
The, uh, the next one is, uh, is the carpus, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing those right, but it is, a, usually we would use parsley, but it can be a green leafy vegetable. And the way that we would do it and the way that we had it set at our table is that we would uh, have a, uh, a bowl of salt water sitting at the table in different places, and you would dip the parsley into the salt water and then eat the parsley. And the, the bitterness and the saltiness of the water and the parsley were to remind you of the tears that were shed uh, during this time of slavery and this time of exodus. So another very uh, clear visual of what was going on at that time. Uh, the, the next one there on the list is the maror, and that is horseradish. And uh, it's, uh, typically they would go for a, a, a rooted vegetable uh, that, again, had uh, a bitter taste to it. And it would remind them of the bitter bitterness of slavery. So as you go through these parts, there's this time. Now, we, again, we don't know whether or not Jesus is having this kind of meal with his disciples. But more than likely, there's parts of these elements at this table. But it's a reminder of the, the bitterness uh, of slavery. Now... I know that Teak will attest to this as well, but when we've done this in student ministry or for other groups in uh, our, our last church, the kereset was the favorite. Uh, it's, it's a combination of fruit and nuts, and um, it actually is one of the few things in here that tastes good. And the, the symbolism there is that you can take, you take the, 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 uh, the kereset and you'd put it in between or take it with a part of your bread. And that symbolizes the mortar of the bricks. Remember, they had to make bricks at one point without, without any straw. And so that symbolizes that period of their story in Exodus. Another beautiful image as they share in this meal together. Then, because this time, at this time they would normally have the, the paschal lamb as, a part, as the meat dish for that table, there would be a shank bone that's present there. And we've done this, you know, in our own adaptation to it. Sometimes we couldn't find those. They're real hard to find in West Texas. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, I think in all the times that I've done it, there was one time that we were able to serve lamb. And I think that we, we were living in Abilene. I'm not sure where she got it. I think she grew up in Houston. So somewhere in a larger city, uh, we, we were able to uh, get that. But that, uh, the, the shank bone is there. Uh, as a part, as a reminder of the Paschal Lamb, uh, the sacrificial lamb uh, at this particular time. And so that, that imagery for Jesus, to, for, and, and if you can imagine uh, being at that table across from Jesus, uh, and contrary to art, not everybody sit on the same side of the table, then you would, uh, so you're also here with me. But the, a, a visual reminder of this experience uh, that Jesus is about to share with them. I already mentioned the egg, and then another, the last one in there is kazaret. Uh, it's again, it's another bitter food or root vegetable, and it is not always a part of the meal. It's uh, just one of those extras or add-ons that they might have. Now, during this meal, here's what here's what's interesting because you begin to see some of this show up in the story of Jesus, is that in the way that they celebrate this Passover meal today in Jewish culture, there's four different times where you drink the cup. And so in the way that Luke tells this story, you notice that 
uh, it says that he referred to the cup before he ate the meal. And then later referred to another cup when he said, this is my blood. So the four cups resembled or, or symbolized four different parts to their experience together. Uh, the first cup was really sort of a blessing or a beginning. It would be like a, a call to worship, if you would, for a, a Passover meal. And through that meal, it's, it's a cup of sanctification, a cup of blessing. The second cup is the Exodus cup. And the way that a lot of people do this today is that they will take that cup and they would dip their finger into it and they would splash the juice onto the table as just a greater visual of the blood that was shed, the, the droplets of blood, a reminder of the blood that was shed. Now, more than likely, that wouldn't have been a part of the tradition that, of, of the table with Jesus at this time. But there is a second cup that reminds them of the exodus, that time of coming out of Egypt and coming into freedom. The third cup, and this is the cup where Jesus is referenced here, is that cup of blessing. And so this is the point where he says that this cup is, is to remind you of, uh, it's, a, it's after the meal, it's to remind you of my blood that's shed for you. And then the final cup is a cup of benediction. Now, those are just some of the elements that we see celebrated today in a Passover meal. Not all of those might, would have been used or separated or celebrated at the time of Jesus with his disciples, but... Uh, we don't know exactly what they were serving. We do know that several of these elements more than likely would have been at that table. So when we think about this experience of the Lord's Supper, here's what we want to share with you this morning. is that we, we understand that there are different traditions about how Lord's Supper is to be shared. And some of you may be a, have been a part of other traditions. And... What we want to share with you is that the traditions that we experience are simply traditions. They're our way of interpreting something for either our church, which could be a local community of faith, or a denomination. There are denominations that are pretty strict on how they will conduct a, um, a communion. It's been challenged through the pandemic in certain denominations because it was to be done with regularity. I've heard people from those denominations say they could not recall a time when they didn't receive communion. And, and they, were, they were people who were up in their years. And it was very difficult for them during this pandemic not to receive uh, communion. And so some of those denominations did drive through communions. Well, the church didn't know what to do with that either. Because in their context and culture, the church had communion as one body. They had communion together. Uh, there are other churches that it can only be performed by an ordained minister, the ordained minister of that church, or another, or in some cases, another ordained minister. So maybe you're wondering how we're going to do it today. I'm going to explain that. But what I want you to understand is that the traditions that, if, you, if it's traditions that you seek, then you can probably find them. Now, there's a whole nother, and you know this, there's a whole nother storyline to walking and being a disciple of Jesus when you start to consider that. That the people who struggled most with changing tradition or changing the way they were doing things were the people that Jesus most criticized. 
and that ultimately would conspire to arrange his death. So be careful how, how closely you hold traditions when that's not really required in Scripture. And so what we find is, is that the traditions of communion were mostly established by the church. And so that's why you'll have different ways that it's done in different places. As you think about this time of communion, what you want to focus on is how God can speak to you through the elements that you experience. So that if it were to be a Seder meal, you have a multitude of ways and foods to help you experience that. Or maybe you just have bread and juice. At other times, during uh, uh, throughout this, the, our time here on, uh, since, uh, since the Lord's Supper, uh, there's been famine and times where you couldn't make bread. Or maybe you didn't have juice, and so the church had to adjust, and they would serve only one. The pandemic has definitely challenged us. Uh, I say us. Those who are in places where you uh, want to lead this experience, they've challenged us to understand you know, how we might de- best do this without compromising. So if you're uncomfortable this morning with receiving communion on your own, then we would just say don't participate. Don't don't worry about it. You participate, and I say this often in terms of certain things that we might do here at our church, you participate to the level of your comfort, considering your own theology and your own relationship to God. If that's not if this isn't out of bounds for, for how you've been brought up or how you feel, then by all means, we encourage you to participate in communion in this way uh, through sometime this week. So what does it mean when we take the Lord's Supper? Several years ago, uh, the only other church I've pastored was a church where I was the founding pastor, served there for 12 years. And it was a church that, when it was established, it was a Baptist church, but it didn't have Baptist in in its name. It was in Abilene. And we attracted a diverse group, mostly of young adults who uh, came from all backgrounds and had different ideas. And so the question of communion would come up often. We had, at then our church, we had a number of folks that attended from ACU, and they were accustomed in their tradition, in their church tradition, to taking communion every week. So I come from this, the, the, a Baptist tradition, which wasn't, honestly, not, wasn't much in regard to, to communion. And so I had to start formulating what I felt like would be best for our church. And so here's kind of how I worked through that process, and, and maybe this will help you. Is that in, when we consider communion, first of all, we have to consider uh, what, what it really means. And so in today's culture, what I'm seeing is that for many people, it means as much as, much as anything, it means oneness. That's why it's most, the word most often used for it, denominate, I mean, out, outside denominations, ecumenically, is communion. You're, it's community together. And so the other thing was is that I noticed that people who did communion regularly, like weekly, it was just a routine for them. I'd been in those churches, and it was just something, it was logistics, it was mechanical. So 
I knew that we didn't want to establish something for ourselves that wasn't meaningful. And then the other extreme, in my view, was that in my life, communion had been too casual. That it was something that uh, we kind of did. We did it once a quarter. And I think every other quarter you would do it on a Sunday morning, but we really preferred to do it on a Sunday night because it was less difficult to, to maneuver. Well, as things have evolved and we began to look at this and become more open to, to what might be meaningful to a church or an individual, then we started talking about what we wanted it to mean at our church. And here's, how, here's where I landed, is that every time we take communion, it has to be meaningful. And so, ultimately, in our church, we took communion every week. It took some time for us to get there, but we took it every week. The other caveat was, if we were going to take communion, the bread had to taste good. And I've shared that with you before. I grew up on a one-inch cup and a quarter-inch cracker that had been in the freezer for a while. And I thought that if we were wanting to make it meaningful, then we shouldn't be distracted by a bad-tasting freezer-burned cracker and just a little bit of juice. And so we began to talk about that, and which, which, uh, we all kind of shared our ideas. So we wanted it to be meaningful. We wanted it to, to taste good. And then we, we also wanted to be at a time of remembrance, now, that's the only thing, I believe, when you start to read the story, that we, can, we really have to watch ourselves in veering from. Jesus said, when you do this, you do it to remember me. Now, there's a lot of theology around that and a lot of diversity of opinion on what Jesus meant there. To me, in its most simplest term, it means that whenever we take the bread and the cup, we have the opportunity. In fact, when we do communion, I believe the obligation to remember him. But let's not exempt the other meals that we have when there could be a beverage and a bread. Because aren't there those times for us as well to remember Jesus? The, the deeper meaning of this communion experience is found in your life and in your relationship with Jesus through these two symbols, bread and juice. It's a reminder of the suffering of Jesus. Because the Passover meal was a highly sensory meal, it might help us if, if we were to even consider and take time to find and create those sensory moments in the way that we approach communion for ourselves. It brings together the people of God and the kingdom of God. There's the other element that, 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 that creates some discussion. Because they were anticipating, the Jewish people were anticipating the coming kingdom of God. They, they brought that up a lot in their messaging. Jesus also liked to talk about the kingdom of God. Problem was, they were talking about two different things. So when we participate in communion, we participate in this experience of the coming kingdom of God. And it, and it brings the kingdom of God into our presence where we can see it, sense it, and understand it. 
I believe the most important question in regard to communion is this. What does it mean to you? So for you, if it's just, if it's just some bread and juice, and then it's the next thing, then, then it's, you've missed it. If it means much more than that and you enjoy the symbolism of it so that you would want to do it more often in your own home, then I would say do it more often in your own home. What does it mean to you and how through that can you tell the story of Jesus in your family? Let me close with this one illustration and I'll tell you how we want to do this. I've shared with Teak, that, and he and I have talked about this a lot during this period, and, we, and we've talked about it throughout our, our, our friendship and relationship. The, the, I want to share with you the most meaningful communion experience that I've ever had. When I was leading Crosspoint, uh, we were meeting at the convention center in downtown Abilene, and I developed a relationship with another church start who was meeting on the north side of town. And so one Sunday, I had someone else fill in for me, and then I attended their church. Uh, we were working on a project in the community together, and uh, we, I wanted to, to get to know them better, and I'd taken a, a road trip with them to Shreveport, Louisiana, to see this ministry in action. I wanted to get to know their people. And so we had church together. Uh, it was, they had come from, most of them, from a, a Church of Christ background, uh, so their worship was a little bit different than what I was accustomed to. But after the meal... We all spread out. We didn't go home. We all spread out, and there were tables in the very back of the church. They would take the, maybe the last several pews of each section, and they had round tables, and they had tables in a little room off to the side. And so people would gather around those tables, and then they would, there was a group, it was a rotating basis, would bring a meal in. A lot of times it was just sandwiches. But at every table there would be the bread and the juice. And then a series of four or five questions for the table to discuss. And so we sat around and we enjoyed this meal together and we enjoyed the company of one another. And then towards the end of our meal, we ate the bread and we poured and drank the cup. Some of you in, may have heard of the experience of a love feast. It's, it's similar to what this is, experience is, where you prepare this meal together, but you also participate in communion together. So what we've done this week is that we've pre prepared a communion kit for you. I had hesitated to call, that, call it that in, uh, in the weeks leading up to this, but I saw it on someone else's website, so I'm going, okay, I'm going to use that word. But because of the... the the difficulty of, of, of handling food and doing different things like that, we've prepared something for you that is a take-home communion kit. There's bread that we normally use here, the same recipe that we normally use, and there's also juice. And then I would also encourage you to take the Bible study that's there alongside that. That Bible study is the same one that's on the uh, website at fbcsweetwater.org. It's the interactive Bible study that we've been doing throughout this series. And so what I would encourage you, maybe today is too sudden and too, too hectic for you, but sometime during this week, if you could, plan a meal uh, with, with your family or spouse or even if you're alone. Plan a sit-down time to enjoy this meal together. And I believe that in doing that, we have taken the opportunity to remember Jesus. Let's remember him.